Welcome back to the CBJ show. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back. At least Jason and I are back. And uh, wow, NBA Finals. Uh, we've got the Celtics Warriors. And uh, it's been what I think a lot of fans wanted was back and forth. Um, heard uh, the refs may have had some influence in one of the games as a, a Celtics fan. It's uh, hard to, uh, it's easy to blame the refs. Um, but as an NBA fan, um, it's exciting. This has been a great year. Amazing turnaround by the Celtics first off. Um, and crazy that I looked back and how many times the Golden State Warriors have been in the NBA Finals. This is nothing new to them. Curry um, is amazing. So with that, we're going to dive right into NBA Finals discussion. So we should start with, I think, what's probably the most popular topic out on Twitter, which is Draymond Green. <laughs> and game two, for anyone that didn't watch, he got away with some things. And even if you did watch, you can probably have an opinion on how uh, – if he was playing football or uh, basketball, um, looked like he was playing off uh, offensive line in that game. But they cleaned that up, and then really the big storyline coming into game three was the chance. Uh, and as someone who's sitting next to me <laughs> uh, via uh, Zoom screen, experienced it firsthand, I'll give it to Jason to uh, talk a little bit about the dream on chance and why uh, that really started. Yeah, we look at Draymond Green. He's always someone that gets in the other team's face. Um, he, he's been like the Dennis Rodman of this Warriors dynasty, comparing it to the Bulls' 90s dynasties. And you look at Draymond, he's a great player overall. The offensive side is questionable with scoring the ball, so we've seen him be inefficient like crazy. He's just hucking up threes for no reason. And um, But the the bad part about this is that He's getting in the face of the Celtics players and putting on some ridiculous fouls, getting flagrants all over the place that he deserves. Um, any NBA fan, I think, could agree. Even a Warriors fan could agree with that. Um, and he's getting a lot of backlash. And then the I think what the funniest part about this is that he scored less points than he has fouls the entire series. I think he has one more foul than points scored, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and yeah, I think he had 17 fouls and 15 or 16 points for Draymond last time I checked. He only had two points last night. He shot one of seven. Great all-around offensive distributor. Good def- good defender. Like, he's one of the best defenders in basketball. But He'll he get you rebounds. Controversy. He gets his rebounds. He had nine rebounds. Um, but when you're not scoring points, he's he's going to be a liability on offense. And he, he's turning into what I would call last year's version of Ben Simmons, someone who passes up every single wide-open layup. And I think Warriors fans are probably really upset with that because we've seen Draymond take over games. If we remember back six years ago, Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals, Draymond had like 30 points in the NBA Finals. That was his greatest game ever, even though the Warriors lost that game to the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is not the other Draymond that we saw six years ago. This is 32-year-old Draymond who is passive. He's I think he he feels like he's too good, like to to not have to like have this big role because he's so reliant on his teammates who can hit all these open shots. And then after games, he at whatever time, like two three a.m., he's recording these podcasts for some reason. I don't know if you've heard about this, but he's recording podcasts every single night talking about the game, and he's getting backlash 
for not getting sleep and not watching film because he's trying to reflect on the game, which you can understand, but people are going to criticize him. If he's not playing a good game of basketball, especially after game three, he's getting so much backlash, he's getting so much hate, and he's just putting all this on himself. And if he wants to redeem himself, he's going to have to step up his play on the basketball floor, score better offensively, um, not take those dumb shots, and just be a better person on the court because he's being a complete jerk. And I think the Celtics have the total right um, to do the FU Draymond chance. So after the FU Draymond chance in game three, the biggest storyline was Clay Thompson after the game. And his words exactly were very classy Boston. And we also heard Steve Kerr say the same words as well. And so I'll ask you, Jason, as a fan that actually experienced the TD Garden, which for anyone that's never been to a Boston Celtics playoff game at the Garden, it's like a must thing to do because it's a total different atmosphere than any of the other stadiums. I know watching the finals, Golden State has a good energy, but the Garden is just a whole different feel. But how did it feel um, just being in the stands and like, do you think it was deserving? Well, there's obviously a lot of toxicity in the crowd. That's Boston's always been notorious for it for years and years. I mean, they became the title of some bad names. Kyrie has called them out many times, as we know. Um, a lot of coaches get frustrated. Um, and Steve Kerr is a great guy, and to hear that from him is a little upsetting as a Celtics fan um, that he feels like a little annoyed. But if you're being a jerk on the court, I think you have the, the crowd's every single right to do that. And um, the Celtics crowd actually chanted "Fu Clay" at one point, um, which I don't think he really deserved it. He just had a foul, but if he's being a jerk in general to the media, the media is like probably the biggest part um, of the outside of being on the court. The media has always been the biggest thing for NBA Finals. We've seen Steph Curry's had some famous interviews um, from 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, uh, that entire era. Um, we've seen Steph Curry have all those interviews. We've seen Clay and Draymond. Um, and when Clay is talking to the media like that, I think the Celtics have every single right to do it. Um, but then again, there are some people who do go over the top and just target them a little too much, um, which, yes, the NBA Finals is very competitive, but um, I think um, for the Warriors players to not have to deal with this and not to give the title to the Boston crowd, classy Boston, they need to actually stop their actions on the court because it's it's getting bad and as well as in the media um, because they're just putting danger onto themselves that they have full control over and there's no need for it. I mean, even Adam Silver came out and said that he likes the, the fans getting involved and he didn't think that really much that they did was um, an issue. And I think as a fan, I think fans should be able to voice their opinion and players, uh, Clay Thompson was asked about um, blocking out the crowd noise and or if it affects him. And if he's complaining about it, it's obviously affecting him. And um, he's just, players just need to go out and, kind of do their best to ignore the crowd noise. Um, moving on from Draymond, the other big storyline for the Celtics has been Robert Williams. And we've known this throughout the whole playoffs that he is a little bit of a liability. And it was shocking that he, um, he was able to come back as soon as he did. Um, 
maybe he could have skipped the Nets series and it would have impacted the rest. But now looking at it, the Celtics have been uh, playing uh, playoff basketball for almost two months now. So having that injury coming back early, it's a lot on him. And uh, especially the Heat series, the NBA did an awful job of giving any teams rest and uh, both teams in that series could have used it. So um, I want to know your opinion on Robert Williams in this series. Robert Williams has been the X factor in this series for sure. His ability to block shots is borderline generational at this point. He's blocking everything he he gets in his way. Like when someone comes in for a layup in the paint, he's already there. His blocking ability is elite. And we've seen him transition into not just an interior defender, but someone who can defend the perimeter as a help defender. He he starts at the perimeter and has guys guard, he, who he's guarding. They start to drive to the hoop, and he's all over them. He's picked up his speed, and he's able to dominate on both parts of the defensive game. And that's what's really separated him from what he's been in the past. And that's why he probably could have been Defensive Player of the Year candidate if he was healthy for the entirety of the season. And um, we obviously know he was rushed back. Um, he was supposed to be about six weeks or get a huge surgery. He got a smaller, uh, I believe, rehab and was back within a little under a month. But these minute restrictions are a little tough um, as a Celtics fan because you want Robert Williams on the court, but I don't think Ime Udoka trusts him um, to play over a 10-minute shift at all um, in the playoffs, um, which is understandable. But I think Robert Williams looks like he wants to play he looks like he is eager. He, he's been a, the biggest difference maker on the defensive end out of any player in these playoffs, probably over Marcus Smart, too, because of his ability to guard both the perimeter and the interior and elite level. Um, and rim protecting is the most important part of defense in basketball. So Robert Williams has been a huge asset, um, and I think it was great that they were able to bring him back. I think he could have maybe missed a few games because the Nets series was an easy route for the Celtics that like he did not need to play in. Um, but we're happy he's here. He looks to be at his best right now, especially after last night, which was the best game I've seen from him since the regular season. Um, so we'll see how he um, gets his minutes going up because they were above 30 for the first time in a very long time last night. We know, obviously, uh, Robert Williams' shot blocking in Philly has been amazing. and. Um, the Warriors have more of a smaller um, playing style where they're better taking threes. They don't um, have much of a center. Um, and we've seen Emi Adoka change that from a uh, two-man um, uh, bigs, two bigs, sorry. <laughs> Word didn't come to me. Two bigs with Alan Rob or Alan Grant or Robin Grant and just to switch off um, just Rob or just Al. And so um, it's been interesting to see the different play style. And Emi um, Adoka has been pulling out all different lineups that we probably haven't seen much of this playoffs because the Warriors don't play. They're not as physical as the Bucks or the Nets or the Heat. So it's def- definitely different. And the biggest thing that uh, stood out to me from the lineup changes is when Jalen Brown's on the court versus off the court. And it makes such a drastic change. As we know, Tatum and Curry are the two stars, but Tatum can't do it all himself. And he tries to do a little bit too much, we see, of the turnovers. And so um, 
Jalen Brown stepped up big time this series, and the Celtics are so much better when he's on the court versus off. And big part of that is foul trouble. He cannot get into foul trouble because that means he's not playing as much time. It puts more pressure on Tatum, and Smart decides then he thinks he should play hero ball, which is awful. And when uh, when they do that, the Celtics are not at their best basketball. Yeah, the only person who I would trust to play hero ball with on the Celtics is by far Jalen Brown, and it's not even close. We've seen Tatum do these weird crossover ISO moves. He's just trying to be like a wannabe Kobe at times, um, which I understand. I know he's his idol, but at the end of the day, you cannot be playing hero ball with pulling off these jab step crossovers with two minutes left in the finals, um, in a finals game, and just bricking and airballing these shots. Marcus Smart might be one of the worst hero ball players I've ever seen. Um, he is the most inconsistent player in the clutch. He sometimes makes those random shots, but I say inconsistent because it's on and off, and last night it was off. He was terrible in the clutch. He made some good threes earlier, but the clutch is the most important part of the game, and if you're not hitting your shots then, especially um, everyone on there, we saw Al Horford miss consecutive shots there, um, and I think Jalen Brown... With his ability, with like you said, when he's on the court, the Celtics are better. I'm sure his plus minus is very good compared to most players on the team. Um, so he's he's a real difference maker on both sides of the ball. He's a great defender. Um, he always has been, and his offensive of game, being able to run the isolation, is something that he's added to his game within the last year and a half, and that's really stood out and what's vaulted him into probably a borderline superstar at this point. The biggest issue for the Celtics and as a fan is the third quarter woes and whatever's happening at halftime is not working. Last night actually I think was their best third quarter and they still lost the quarter by six um, which led into the fourth quarter but they've been so bad during the third quarter and um, want to know your opinion especially firsthand seeing it last night what is going on with the Celtics and what is something they need to change in the last few games? Because now that we're at game five, this is a, uh, a huge must-win game for both teams. And it sets the tone going back to Boston uh, for game six. I think it really comes down to what their defensive game plan is because they just like Curry go to work and just not let anyone else do anything. They tried to lock up everybody else. But the problem is, if you're double-teaming someone else, you know Steph Curry's going to be wide open, and Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, is going to nail every single shot that he gets. They're playing too relaxed on defense. They're playing tight on other guys they don't need to. As you said, the Warriors are a small ball team. They can run a five out with everyone on the perimeter, um, and they were just forcing people inside and leaving Curry wide open. So it comes down to making defensive adjustments, and it might be having to call out Ime Udoka for not making those adjustments he's a great defensive minded coach but I think Brad Stevens might have been able to pull that off if he was the coach of the team and be able to contain Steph Curry because he's proven in the past that he in some regular season games that he can contain Steph Curry especially in the era of Isaiah Thomas and the Kyrie like both those um both those eras of Celtics basketball we've seen the Celtics been able to lock up Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and when they're drilling shots they're playing too relaxed and offensively, they're just getting a little too fancy because, oh, we're up, cool. Well, if you can't 
make the shots. If you can, if you're playing too fancy, you're not gonna get anywhere because you're just gonna end up turning the ball over or taking a dumb shot, and the Warriors are gonna make up for it with those um, points off the turnover. Yeah, the Celtics the, uh, need to turn something around in the third quarter, and also really the turnovers are the biggest thing. Uh, I've got a few last-minute quick quick questions and um, just kind of a one-word answer or two words is all I need from you. But um, do you think the first question is, have the refs influenced the series? Um, I think it's been better with, le- with less missed calls or bad calls than – in previous series, um, I think the second round of the playoffs was borderline unwatchable at times because of the refs. Um, but I think this time, it's this series, it's been pretty good. I don't have many complaints. I think um, every single game, the be- better team has won the game, and I don't think any foul call would have um, turned the win into to turn the win from one team to the other. That applies to other series, but I don't think that I think this series has been pretty fair, and I'm I'm not too mad about the officiating at all. I think the officiating has been good. Um, obviously, um, everyone's going to make a mistake, and um, you just um, can't let it impact the game. Um, I guess this is going to be a bigger question, but who do you think has the edge in Game 5? Uh, I think it, it comes down to, I mean, this is pretty obvious, but it's, it's who shows up when it matters. That's the biggest thing that's going to happen. Uh, and... I think the Celtics are going to win this game, game five. I don't think they're going to win game six, however. I think the Celtics have, they have a chip on their shoulder on the road that they do not have at home. And the Warriors get too relaxed at home. Both teams are very similar when it comes to where they play. Um, They fall apart at home, but um, they have that chip on their shoulder on the road. And um, they're going to be able to play smart. I think they're going to play a very um, tactical game. In Golden State, they're going to make the adjustments. They have, a, I think, a bigger break than they did from Game 3 to Game 4. The Celtics have never lost two consecutive games in the playoffs at all, um, but they've also never won two consecutive home games. Um, at the end of the day, they don't have any more home games in a row, luckily, and uh, I think going on the road, the Celtics have the, have the edge because of their ability to walk into another building um, and um, be able to um, make it their own and take a win. But um, I still think the series is going to seven games no matter what happens in game five. I I totally agree with you. I predicted before the series started, I said it's either going to – I said my heart wants to, as a Celtics fan, say that I think the Celtics can win. But going into the series, um, the Warriors just looked like the better team on paper. And so um, my I was – if I had to guess um, – with some thinking and some knowledge, I think my guess would have been, uh, or my guess was uh, Warriors in seven um, before the series started. But now it's 2-2, it's even. But I'm going to make a, a small, bold prediction. I know it's not super uh, bold, but I think whoever wins game five uh, wins a, wins the series. So that's my prediction. <laughs> yeah, when you look at game five, it's the most pivotal game of the series. I'd say 99% of the time, the team that wins game five wins the series. We saw a really rare case uh, in the conference semifinals, um, the Celtics and the Bucks. The Bucks walked in the TD Garden. They were down early. They come back and steal it with some great defensive heroics um, from Drew Holiday. Um, but we see the Celtics have that ability to come back from down below. 
um, they were down 3-2 to Milwaukee, and they, they came back and won that series, and they've um, been able to beat Miami, um, and um, I because they were able to um, walk away in Game 5, I believe. they That was a the game they went up 3-2, and then Miami won Game 6, lost won Game 7. So I think it's going to end up pretty similar to how that Celtics Heat series ended up, because Game 5 is going to almost every single time um, be the deciding factor in who wins the series. All right. That's going to wrap up our NBA discussion. Um, game 5, I was about to say Game 6, Game five is Monday night, is that correct? Monday night at 9 p.m., <laughs> which is all, always my favorite. Um, very hard on the, the East Coast, but makes sense on the West Coast. Game five, Monday night, 9 p.m., and uh, whoever is the better team, whoever comes out uh, more ready, more um, wanting it, who wants it more uh, is really going to be the decisive factor in the Celtics need to uh, have less turnovers. All right, Jason, unless you've got anything else to add, that's going to do wrap up our um, NBA Finals discussion. Welcome back to the CBJ Show. Uh, moving along from our NBA discussion, we're now joined by NBC Sports uh, Philly guest, Amy Fadul. Thank you, Amy, for joining us on the CBJ show and we're so happy to be able to not only talk sports with you but also a little bit of uh, Philadelphia sports. Uh, It's always good to see you Brandon thanks so much for having me I'm excited. Awesome so how we like to start this off is just really with getting to know our guests and sometimes um, guests have had a long um, backstory of how they got here and sometimes it was um, along the way of something they've changed and stuff but really how did you start getting into sports broadcasting and why did you want to be a sports broadcaster? Um, like a lot of people uh, I'm a giant sports fan and I learned as soon as you could talk about sports uh, for a living that uh, and you stay up late I was like well, that's that sounds like something I want to do. Uh, it's actually 11 years old when I first discovered you could do this as a career Uh, My mom kind of introduced it to me. She was a teacher and I had an assignment when I was in elementary school about to research something you want to do. And so um, she knew I loved, she's a big sports fan too. And she knew I loved reading the sports section. We uh, watched SportsCenter um, back in the day, even when they didn't have a lot of programming back in the day. And so that was my focus. I mean, I literally, um, I did, I was, I wrote for our yearbook and our paper in high school. I wrote for the newspaper and did some, um, television work at college at University of Kentucky. And I majored in broadcast journalism with a minor in sports management. So I like to joke, this is the only thing I'm qualified for. Um, and I got an internship my last, uh, right the summer before my senior year um, in Lexington, Kentucky, which is where uh, UK is. And uh, they hired me a month before I graduated. So I worked there for a couple of years and then um, kind of everywhere. Yeah, couple years here and there it was Lexington to Nashville Nashville for two years Baltimore for two years and then now here in Philly for a I'm I'm in the middle of my 14th year here in Philadelphia wow it's crazy when you look back at some of the years and you're like wow it's crazy that I've been here for so long and yeah it is hard to believe especially since everything was like two years two years two years and all of a sudden now I'm uh, I'm 
uh, approaching finishing up my 14th year, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, I mean, I like to joke that that's the only thing I'm qualified for, but it's really the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, made it this long in this business. Yeah, and we've known uh, throughout history, sports broadcasting has been such a male dominant um, mm -hmm. studies. And so we've had actually a few or uh, one or two female guests on the show before, but obviously it's different from everyone. But how hard was it being a woman and trying to be a sports broadcaster? And did you ever have moments that you're like, should I really continue pursuing this career or should I try to find something else? Um, there's definitely moments where it was tough, uh, where, you know, you were in the, the all boys club and they didn't want you as a member. Um, and they let it be known, especially at some of the, the shops I was at, uh, below the Mason Dixon, we'll call it, and that maybe not the most welcoming. And, and it was, you know, nothing personal and it was hard not to take it personally. It was just that they didn't think that you were up to snuff and it was just based on your gender. Um, and some of it has to do with age as well. Obviously, um, in my first jobs, I was, you know, pretty young. I mean, I was, you know, in my twenties. And so, um, this job, whether you're male or female is really all about proving yourself. And you feel like you have to do that quite a bit. And so when you're a female, you know, you're already working with a, a, an expectation that's below whoever is, it doesn't matter if the guy ever even picked up a baseball, basketball, football, hockey stick, anything. They assume that the man must know about sports because he's a guy and there's no, there's the assumption the woman doesn't know about sports because she couldn't have possibly played football. So um, there's that. As far as me ever thinking I couldn't do it or I should do something else, no, mostly because that's my personality. If you tell me not to do something, I'm probably going to do it um, 25 times over. I'm the youngest of five. So I'm used to kind of like, uh, bullying my way through and saying I can do it too so um and I always had like great support my family was always a big support I mentioned my mom my mom and dad you know they always told me find something that you love to do and that's when you know that, that that's going to be your career so you won't look at it as work um you look at it as something that yes I mean it takes a lot of effort and there's a lot of commitment and there's a lot of sacrifice but the payoff is really um something that you truly enjoy doing so even in the tough days and there were a lot um early on where you know I was negated and told you know in no uncertain terms that you know you're not just you're not going to cut it like this just not this is not for you this kind of type of business um, it really just made me work that much harder um, and it's it's really helped me to this day and it's always some advice that I give to anybody because they will try to cut you down at different places whether it's in the northeast west south wherever um, there's always going to be people that you know maybe don't think you're good enough and, and it's up to you to try to prove that and really you're proving it to yourself. It's so hard to think about um, trying to overcome something that's like for someone like me it's not uh, hard or it's harder to think about oh getting into something that's like uh, male dominant and when you hear stories like from you and from in the past that like it wasn't always easy and you had to work your way up. And sometimes um, I guess using the word bullying and it's like getting up there is not easy for um, some people. And it makes people like me uh, take a step back and realize that we should be mindful of what we say, um, mm -hmm. how we act and just kind of our language to people around us because um, we don't know how people will in, um, interpret our uh, use of language or actions. 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, people can bill it as tough love, but sometimes it's just tough. Yeah. So you've said you've worked at NBC Sports Philly or in the Philly area for at least uh, 14 years. And mm -hmm. um, have you uh, held the same job? And yeah. um, you have, which is for people that don't know, can you explain mm -hmm. a little bit? Well, I've held, I've held the same technical job. Um, my role changes here. It used to be called Comcast Sports Net Philadelphia. Now we're NBC Sports Philadelphia. Comcast bought NBC about seven years ago, I think, seven or eight years ago. And so Comcast kind of took over, but NBC obviously is a, a broader name. So they adopted the NBC name, even though Comcast was the one to purchase NBC. So um, when I first started here, I was the what I'd been everywhere else in my career, which is the weekend anchor, weekday sports reporter, which is pretty standard um, when you're new to certain places, unless you're the sports director, you work, you know, Saturdays and Sundays or Fridays and Saturdays. And then during the week, you report on different teams. So that was my role um, at all the previous stops I'd had. That was my role when I started here. Um, and it's evolved. I've done every single show here. Uh, I've hosted Flyers pregame live and postgame live. I've hosted Eagles pre and post game I've hosted I, I'm mainly now the Sixers for the last several years I'm the Sixers pre and post game host um, every single game the, the lucky thing here is in Philadelphia NBC Sports Philadelphia broadcasts 90% um, of the Sixers games 90% of the Flyers games 90% of the Phillies games and even though we don't broadcast Eagles uh, games itself obviously those are network broadcasts we have the highest rated pre and post game show because we can go on right away and show the coaches comments and get locker room reaction um, because it's just a sports network here. There's nothing else. There's no news or anything, weather. it's just sports all the time. So, um, so I've hosted all the different shows. We've had talk shows. I've hosted those. We have like nightly um, and morning highlight type shows that are kind of like sports center. I host those still currently. So it's a, uh, it's a jack of all trades as everything likes everyone likes to say in this uh, master of none so but mainly right now I'm obviously I'm out of six or season today I'm filling in um, I'm doing Phillies pre and post game all weekend and then um, next week I'll host our Eagles show birds huddle which is a weekday talk show um, just about the Eagles and then I also have a couple of uh, shows that I'll do with it or the what's called Sportsnet Central it's basically our sports center they basically uh, do a good job of keeping you busy is what I've yes. heard from, uh, your comment. And um, it's interesting, probably doing the different sports, you get obviously different things to talk about. Obviously, there's mm -hmm. um, positions and stuff, but um, do you ever um, have to like think for a second, like, oh, which uh, sports um, or sport I'm talking about? And um, not necessarily like the sport I'm talking about, but um, our post-game shows are all sponsored by the same company, Cure Auto Insurance. And so I'm so used to saying, I mean, for a hundred games, practically, if you include the playoffs and some preseason games for Sixers, I'm so used to saying Sixers post-game live brought to you by Cure Auto Insurance. So when I first did my Phillies chip this season, I have to pause and I have to say, in my head, not six, don't say Sixers, don't say Sixers. Don't, and I'll, I'll even like look around me just to make sure. I'm like, no, no, it's Phillies, so say Phillies. And I've definitely said Sixers before when I meant either Flyers or uh, Phillies, but I don't, I don't have to pause too much, but you do. I mean, that's, Philly is such a great sports town that you have to be able to talk all sports here. You can't just think, oh, I'm only focusing on the Eagles. Um, it's just not going to work out for you if you see somebody out and about or in your job obviously but there's definitely moments where I have to pause and go what show am I what is what show is this oh yeah it's Phillies it's in the middle of the summer Amy. it's Phillies yeah 
coming from a Boston sports fan, we're, we're known for a lot of championships and stuff. So it's so easy to, you can talk about anything. And exactly. Philly sports, I think, probably are in that list of sports, uh, sports towns that a lot of people that you go, everyone knows what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, so fascinating. Um, as you said, you mentioned working at NBC with many different people, obviously doing totally different things. But uh, my question is, what is your favorite part about working here? Um, you know, it's kind of how it would be if I worked at a normal job, I guess, the people. I mean, the access is amazing. As a sports fan, we are literally, our studio is inside the Wells Fargo Center. So anytime I want to go see a game, I just go out the back door and I'm in the middle of the concourse. I'm in section cool. like 110. <laughs> So that's actually really great. I mean, oh, the press conference is at five o'clock. Okay, I'll walk downstairs. So that the and if anybody's familiar with Philadelphia, all of the stadiums are right next to each other. So the Wells Fargo Center is two, maybe like 20 feet from the Eagles Lincoln Financial Field. And then across the way, maybe 200 yards is Citizens Bank Park where the Phillies play. So we are so close. The proximity is just that access. You can't beat it. So if you want to swing over to the ballpark or you've got a press conference, you can do that because you're at work and everything's so close. Um, but the people you work with here, I mean, there's, there's just a great energy um, when you're all interested and you're all sports fans and everybody's watching the games. It's so funny if there's like a big roar in the newsroom, you look up at the television thinking, which one is it? Like, was it the Flyers or was it the Sixers or was it something else completely or somebody watching golf? And so it's just, um, we like to say it's, uh, it's, it's coming back to where it's been. Um, obviously during COVID, there was no one in the office, only people that were like uh, associated with the broadcast. There's some days where you'd only see three or four people. Um, but, you know, and now we're kind of coming back to that where we've got like maybe like 10, 12, 15 people in. We used to be like, you know, in the 20s and 30s. It was like a sports bar without the you know, wings and beer, but it's just the, the energy here is just so great. And everybody's living and dying with, you know, the free throws or the foul shots or the penalty kill and, or the first down. I mean, they're just, everybody's just so into it. And in the energy of when everybody's here, um, that's one of my favorite things. And obviously I get to watch sports. I mean, I can literally go out and watch a Sixers game any day that I want, as long as they're home. As a fan that also just loves watching sports having that ability of being so close in proximity must be so beneficial for you and NBC Sports Philly just being able to capture everything and Mm -hmm. um, obviously if you've been to Boston everything's a little bit more spread out a little bit more and so it's a little bit harder to even though the fans will no matter where you go you'll have fans talking about um, any Boston sports having the close proximity it's just such beneficial and able for you to talk different sports without feeling like you got to go 20 minutes this way to this ballpark or 20 minutes mm-hmm. to the stadium. So having that must be beneficial. And you mentioned you being so close to the Wells Fargo Center. Um, did you obviously must have uh, done some work with the studio during the pandemic and was that weird having no fans at the stadiums and how did you as a reporter or someone that needed to help bring some energy to the crowd like how was it without having like crowd noise behind you or knowing that you have co-workers near you yeah I mean there was days where when we came back after the restart and it was the bubble for the NBA there was uh, everybody kind of, you know, sectioned off and our directors were in their own area and our 
um, studio crew, like they would, you know, they have one or two only of them. And then the master control and our control room guys where the audio and the directors and stuff, you never even saw them. They would all, the, the directors and the audio and the camera ops, those guys you never even saw, they would stay in their own areas. So there's times where you would see when we had the restart, it would be me, um, my producer, Brian Brennan and our two analysts, um, Jim Lynham and Mark Jackson. And that was it. That was the only people I'd see in an entire day. I'd come in at three o'clock and I'd leave at 11 and I'd run into four people and then maybe like one or two guys in the studio. So I'm looking at like five or six. So it's definitely like was hard and it was hard to watch the games, especially when they were Orlando because it was, it was, they're all in Orlando. They were all away. There was no energy. And even when they came back to Philadelphia and we were working with limited crowds, you know, uh, 6,000, 8,000. It was weird to hear the games. The, the broadcasters didn't travel on the road. So they were in studio with us, which was actually really cool to see them um, that kind of behind the scenes. But for them, obviously that's a disadvantage. They're used to being able to see it live and they're having to rely on the camera angle. So it was just definitely a, a whole different element. Um, it helped in some ways as far as like knowing that you you need to provide this type of you know convey you need to convey what's happening because people really they can't be there there's no one there or there's only you know five thousand people there and it seats twenty five thousand so it's little things like that that actually kind of helped um but yeah i mean it was when the building started getting busy to get busy again and we went over to like citizens bank park me and my son and you know it was it's you need the energy it's just it's not a sporting event really unless you have like the crowd and you can hear it so it's been really nice the last year to kind of see everybody get back but it was definitely different i mean the bubble was very strange to try to broadcast games and talk about those games when not only is there no fans there it's 2000 miles away it's nowhere yeah. near philadelphia it's down in florida for pete's sake so um but it was i mean it was it was good to at least get something you know, back everything after that, you know, the six to eight month period was just so dull. I mean, it was one of those things of those like, people can you work from home? I'm like, no, I can't work, from, there's no sports. What am I working from home? Like, we still put on stuff and we did a lot of interviews, um, a lot of Zooms, but uh, it was nothing like the, the live game and the highlights from the game. It was definitely interesting to hear from all of our guests that we've had and talking about from um, coaching to play-by-play -play, to reporting and just like how it was with no fans if it's like especially with uh, all those indoor stadiums sound uh, gets trapped a little bit more and so mm -hmm. it's totally different with how they had to call games and stuff or how they had to be there just with no one was just eerie and so yeah um, it's just so fascinating to hear all these different stories of how people were able to use the pandemic and figure out different ways. And so mm -hmm. um, it's so fascinating to hear all these stories. Um, and it's once again, so fascinating that you were able to join us for even a, a very quick time, but um, we were happy to hear your story and hope that your story may influence um, more people down the road. And obviously I wanna be a sports broadcaster um, and just the idea of talking sports sounds like fun. So, um, doesn't it? That well, it's not all glamorous, Brandon. I'll tell you, I'm broadcasting to you right now from our makeup room. So, that's not very exciting. Um, but at least it's a nice, quiet area rather than in the newsroom where it can get a little bit rowdy. Not today, not so much yet. 
Um, but later when the game starts, it'll get a little bit rowdy. But this, it's not, it's not all glitz and glamour. I do want to tell you this is the makeup room. It's not the greatest thing you've ever seen. But I've tried to make it, frame it so it looked like I wasn't like standing in the middle of like curling irons and makeup. <laughs> well, <laughs> we thank you. And hearing obviously positives and negatives in your story and also um, expanding our network is awesome for us. So um, I know from myself, but also from my um, co-host, we want to thank you for joining us on the CBJ show. And we look forward to hearing you um, on Sixers or Flyers or Phillies uh, pre and post game lives. Thank you so much, Brandon. And you guys, listen, I know there, there are some negatives in it, but it is a very uh, positive, rewarding job. And I hope you guys fulfill that dream. And anything I can ever do, uh, you know how to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we look forward to uh, um, hearing from you in the future and your work uh, with Philadelphia and NBC Sports Boston, or, or NBC Sports Philly. Yeah, don't NFL. put me in Boston yet. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Uh, you're welcome. Bye. All right, that's going to wrap up our um, interview and also this episode. Wow, I can't, I'm mixing words. Wow, when uh, you're alone, it's uh, a lot of pressure. It's just on you. Well, that's the interview done. Um, thank you for Jason. I know he had to leave early in this episode, but we want to thank Jason. We want to thank Amy Fadul. Um, we also want to thank her husband, Sean Kane, for being able to set up this connection. So um, from all of us at the CBJ show, we want to thank um, Amy for joining us. And we want to thank you, everyone who's uh, watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify or other um, podcasts um, accessible to you. With that, we uh, look forward to game five of the NBA finals on Monday at 9 p.m. We'll have a lot more um, social media news um, for this week covering and talking about uh, the NBA Finals. And we hope to uh, get on a little bit of a better schedule before we go off for the summer. That's it. Since I've got no one else to uh, ask for final words, that's going to be it for <laughs> episode 42 of the CBJ Show. Thank you so much for watching.